Hey, you're listening to season two of Pastor Standing Firm Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bauer. Uh, Jeremiah is not with us this week. Um, definitely keep him in your prayers. His father just passed on. Um, but he he was a great man of God as far as I as far as I could tell. I never got the honor to meet him. But we are starting with a very special episode this week of a book that is not new, and yet I just discovered in the last year or two, I think from another podcast uh, that I was listening to, um, could have been uh, could have been a number of them, but we are joined by a very special guest today who I am busting to talk to, uh, a man of God, former pastor, church planter, author Lance Ford of the book Unleader, and you can also talk about any other books you want to uh, in this podcast that you've authored as well, Lance. I'm just so pumped to be talking to you. Uh, the book Unleader, Reimagining Leadership and Why We Must, he really delves into this book front and back. And, and you can see uh, I have highlighted this book front <laughs> to back, thinking, man, I, I want to teach and live this so much better so much more. We literally basically started the podcast before we started the podcast because, man, just everything in this resonates in my spirit, just screaming yes. So before we get into all that, Lance, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, what you've authored, what you've done, uh, married, kids, um, pregnant, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you better not be pregnancy around my house right now. I'm 58, so and, and my wife is is just under me, so uh, at 56. But uh, Brian, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, you and I, and we jumped right in, man. Uh, and at some point, we were like, "Oh, we better hit record because we're doing the podcast right now. We're charging each other, yeah, pretty strong." So, thanks for having me. I. I the subject we're going to talk about today is is uh, at the at this bullseye center of what I feel called to do and give the rest of my life for. Um, but yeah, I was uh, grew up in Texas and uh, were grew up as a Baptist kid, which is pretty typical. I would say if you're from Texas, you either are Baptist, were Baptist, or will be Baptist at some point. Um, but that, uh, in my mid teens, our folks started moving more into kind of Pentecostal charismatic circles. And, and then you and I found out that we both went to Christ for the nations. Yep. Uh, I was yep. 10 years ahead of you, but, uh, uh, and then I actually ended up being a, a, a vineyard church planter, uh, in the mid 1990s. And, uh, I'm, I'm not in the vineyard anymore, but got tons of vineyard friends and legacy there. But uh, we have, my wife and I have been married in June. We uh, celebrated 36 years of her putting up with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, her crown just gets bigger and bigger every year because of that. But uh, we have three children that are not children. They're all adults. They're all in their 30s. And uh, our oldest, our son, and then we have two daughters. And and one daughter married. And, <clears throat> and I, they've been married about 11 years. We don't have a grandkids yet. I think I'm going to have to take that boy out in the woods somewhere and explain how things work so we can get some grandkids. So uh, we're still, we're still waiting on that, that to come. But uh, we, we uh, raised our children and, and I pastored uh, my pastoral years. Most of the years were in the St. Louis area. 
and then uh, we ended up uh, uh, in Kansas City for a little over six years, and we have been in the Panama City area of Florida here for a little over six years now. Uh, moved here closer to my uh, my in-laws as they were getting older, and and really what I do, I can kind of do from anywhere, which is I, I do a lot of coaching and consulting, uh, work with tons of different denominations and I work with everything from church planters to to leaders of organizations um, I've written a lot on the missional movement I've been a part of that for almost 20 years pretty deeply and uh, but about 15 years ago uh, I just what I could not get away from was what I was seeing uh, in leadership in leadership in the church and so more and more my trajectory of calling started being aimed towards that in dealing with some of those issues and i feel more uh focused on that than ever before i feel like there's a greater need than ever before so yeah i've written i don't know six or seven books and i'm, I'm always working on a book it seems like in fact i'm about to turn a manuscript in right now so yeah man good on you i'm about a third of a way through trying to write a book and i it just pulling myself up to get back in there and write is so hard. Like it's get, a grind, man. <laughs> it is. It is. And uh, who knows if I'll ever get it done, but <laughs> you will. Um, I, I, I love so many different things in this book. Um, reading one quote, one twenty two. the Lord initiated a relational system that enables us to be disentangled from fleshly power and authority systems and structures of leadership. The idea that, you know, you know, I heard not that long ago on a podcast, like, you shouldn't call it a family. And it's like, well, that's what it is, but it's not an earthly family chose to manipulate people. We have, we have co-opted and adopted every business mentality of Western culture as the ways of how we structure the hierarchies of the local church in America and the Western world. What do you say to that, Lance, and how do we confront it, and what can we do, and how can we do it better? How can we get it biblical again? Yeah, well, I, I love what you started out with there, Brian, uh, the issue of the church being a family. You know, there's a lot of metaphors in the New Testament. Jesus used a lot of analogies, a lot of uh, metaphors. Paul did the same. Uh, he likened the church to a building several times. Uh, he likened it to a body. Mm -hmm. um, uh, familial terminology and language used by Paul is, is, is the most common language he uses, is that the church is a family. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, who's my brother and sister and my mother, yeah. the ones that do the will of the Father. Mm -hmm. uh, when Jesus talked about leadership, uh, when he talked about titles, when he when he said something that we blatantly ignore about titles don't call yourself this don't call others that don't be called leader it's the word leader don't be called leader well the catholics say okay don't call yourself father oh that's what we'll call ourselves a father and so then we <laughs> protestants we say jesus says don't call yourself leader and we go okay we'll call ourselves leader it's just blatant <laughs> disobedience to jesus you know and, 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 and so what Jesus says is he says, because you are all brothers and sisters, 
So you don't lift yourself up above one or another. It is the familial relationship of the, of the, of the body of Christ is the strongest metaphor that Paul ever uses. But yes, the leadership-centric language, business terminology, organizational terminology has invaded the church. And it really started from, from my research and experience, from what I can see, uh, and I've really put my head down for 15 years on this stuff, is the church growth movement really started in the, back in the, in the late 1960s. Donald McGavern, um, Fuller Institute of Church Growth. Fuller's my my post-grad alma mater, but so I love Fuller, but, but the, Crystal the Cathedral, church growth, um, what's that? Crystal Cathedral and, and yeah, all that, you know, the, right. the church growth movement mm-hmm. took off and then what, and it quote, and I put big quotes around it, it worked. I mean, we started growing bigger churches, cooler churches, but then what happened is pretty soon, uh, guys had to start figuring out how to lead these things. And that's when the leadership culture invaded the church. So Mm. really the church growth, see, see, uh, I'm, so I'm 58. So probably 30 years ago, ago, you would hear church, you'd hear terminology about church growth, seeker sensitive, all this kind of stuff. So it was all about growing the church. It was, and right around that time, leadership language started invading the church. Mm. Before that, you didn't even hear leadership language. And I, you can even study the books. If I was to ask you, Brian, to name five classic theological books, you could just click them right off. You could start naming classic books, you know, 100-year-old, 200, 500-year-old books. If I was to ask you to name five or 10 classic leadership books, those books would only be 10, 15, 20 years old at most. We don't have classic leadership books. The probably the oldest one that would be a classic leadership Christian leadership book would be Oswald Sanders' Spiritual Leadership that came out in 1968. Yeah. Well, that's not that long ago. Why? Because they weren't even talking about it. Mm-hmm. There, the, the 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 term leadership was not even in the Oxford Dictionary in 1933. Right. It is a new term, and so what's happened is if you were 40 years ago sitting around a coffee shop with five or six of your pastor buddies, mm-hmm. they would refer to themselves as ministers. Yeah. We don't even use that language anymore. No. We're li- we're leaders. Yeah. I just read um just read just a recent Barna research study, only 4% of executive pastors, which the executive pastor is the number two, but kind of like the CFO of a church, right? Or the right. COO where And they, what, ver- what 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 verses do we find? executive pastors in, right. <laughs> yeah yeah in uh <laughs> go, go ahead i'm sorry not i can't in, help myself yeah not in this chapter chapter two um and and, and, and that whole idea of this only four percent of these executive pastors who are the ones who are basically the the whipping boy of the church right of the i do the hiring and firing i enforce this i do that uh, I, I run the money and basically the mm-hmm. the pastor's dark side only 4% actually have a biblical worldview. Mm, wow. I I hate to say I'm not surprised, but it's it's that's just confirming, man. Uh and and we've turned it over. We've turned it over to a new power system. We've turned it over to a different power system. Right. I, I was just telling you before we launched, I was recently at an event where and and 
this was a well-intentioned thing. Um, and, and to its audience, it's, it's a correct thing. But the, the idea, somebody recently I heard say, well, you know, we don't need, you know, just some of you would say, we just need more of the Holy Spirit. No, you need some systems and plans. And I, I just remember thinking even, even that, and, and I understand who, who they were talking to and where they were saying it. It's, it's received rightly, not, not, not wrongly, but, um, just even that thinking, I'm a little bit like, uh, you know, I I went to the church planting boot camp, you know, years ago and just left feeling like, was I just sold a timeshare? You know, uh, um, it, it was like, if you follow our system, you can't fail. And I just remember being like, I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's, uh, give me a chance. I could fail. I could, mm-hmm. I could bomb, sure. you know, I could, uh, but not only that, like where do, where do we see Paul saying, you know, uh, I, I've got to grow to this point and then I'll move on. I mean, wasn't he always led by the Spirit as far as I could understand it? You know, and yet this is these are the systems we've created. I feel like we've despiritualized everything. Like mm-hmm. we we we, in an attempt to be more effective, have maybe become the least effective we've ever been. Well, I think it's true. Uh, talking systemically, we and, and I would say this, we do need systems. We need structures. Right. Here's the thing. We have one. Okay. It's, it, it, we have the system of the body of Christ. Mm. And it's organic. It's it, and that's that's why Paul uses this metaphor, the body of Christ, over and over and over, in Romans twelve when he talks about some of the some of the giftings. Uh, he uses body language, and it is systemic. So the 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 collective intelligence of the body is present. Now here's the thing, and I'm I'm actually working on a new book and in kind of a new metaphor. Um, the body, the the atlas uh, uh, vertebra is the first vertebra. It's called the C one, mm-hmm. and that's kind of that. It's kind of that that half circle shaped at the base of the skull. It's what your the, your skull and the brain system sits in to give you a, where you can turn left and right and swivel up and down. Yeah, yeah, I have a couple of bad discs there. I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the C one <laughs> is called the atlas. If and there are there are some there are there's a limited number of of uh, chiropractors that that all they focus on is the C one and the C two the 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 C two is called the axis Mm -hmm. and that's all they focus on so if you go to those chiropractors they're going to uh, analyze your body and then they're not going to snap crackle and pop like normally if you've ever gone to a chiropractor all they're going to do is focus on those two because they are convinced if you get things right there everything else will come into alignment. Okay. They believe that a ton of maladies and the his, the history of, of this type of, of cervical care has uh, proven out uh, that a lot of maladies that we have, organ failure, high blood pressure, I mean, even the, actually the first person that was ever corrected with chiropractic um, from the first chiropractor named Palmer, the guy was deaf. And, um, and Palmer's claim was that when he adjusted him, he could hear again. So mm. 
the problem is, is the connection between the head and the body. And so mm. we're dealing, what we're really dealing with here at the end of the day, we're dealing with the headship of Jesus in his church. Wow. And so, so what happens is we have so many pastors, they'll even call themselves the head. I'm the head of this church. Well, if you're the head of that church, you're in trouble. There's trouble. There's yep. trouble. It's, then it's your church. It's not Jesus's church. Mm. And so it's a real headship issue. And this is the thing that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. Um, and uh, so there's a lot of language about APES now, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. I teach on it. I've, I've written on it tons. But the thing is, is if you don't deal with the headship of Jesus and the body of Christ and your leadership systems, you can APES till the cows come home. And it's not going to function because you will constantly circumvent the wisdom and intelligence that Jesus has sent down into the body because you think that you are the head or you or two or three others on your staff are the head. And you nailed it, Brian. What's happened over the last 20, 25 years is this secondary leader function called an executive pastor. And so the executive pastor and the senior pastor become the bosses of the church. And I would challenge just about anybody here to, to, to just look at the executive pastor training, go to their websites and look at what they, the job requirements of an executive pastor. And it's all about business acumen. It's all about being that you've got a history of, of, and a resume of growing big businesses and big corporations. And then, and literally on the requirements, it even says, Hey, if you've got some, theology that's a bonus that's a plus really yeah and so typically these guys are the ones that are running the church functionally and they're the ones telling all the other pastors what to do how to schedule when to do what and everything it totally circumvents the wisdom of the jesus headship yeah. yeah distributed down into the body like you were saying yeah yeah absolutely lance one of the pushbacks i think I know some guys, I could hear them in my head as you're talking, saying, okay, yeah, but I've been, I've seen those churches where they say, Jesus is the pastor, end quote, and they're a mess, and they're this and that and the other. And yet it's like, okay, we're not saying Jesus is the pastor, but he is the great shepherd. He's the head. Help pastors understand, how do you make Jesus the head of your church and not your vision statement or your, your business plan or your right. mission statement or, you know, whatever it is like, and I, even that I, I take, I, I wrestle with that these days, the idea of your vision, you have to have a vision. And I'm like, no, I I'm all for God giving us ideas and you can call it the vision call it whatever you want. Sometimes we're arguing semantics, but mm -hmm. to say that, no, I mean, the vision is the great commission. That's it. I, I can have things that yeah. fall underneath that, but that's it. That's that's the right. goal. Which Help. is to make disciples. It's not right. to make converts. Uh -huh. in fact. I'm actually literally preaching on that this Sunday. <laughs> right. But please, help pastors, the pastor who's in that position, who has the church of 500 plus and growing and says, no, no, I've got it. I understand. I get, can you speak to that pastor and say, you need to not be the head and here's how you make Jesus right. the head. Right. No, and it's a perfect question. It's a fair question too. So first of all, let me say this. I am not saying I'm not anti-leadership. I think we need leadership more than ever, but here's the thing. We've made leadership an identity. So we call ourselves leaders. The very thing Jesus said not to. Biblically, 
our identity as servants. We are mm. servants. And mm. so you see servant language throughout the New Testament. You see the kenosis, the emptying out. You see language in Philippians, in Ephesians, I mean, in all the epistles about how to treat others. For some reason, we give ourselves leadership immunity to those verses when it comes to leading because we think a leader is a boss. Well, here's the thing. Here's the biggest thing to, to make Jesus the head of your church. If you've been the head of your church is this change your identity and change your role. Mm. So, and mm. what happens here is there's so much more joy. There's so much more freedom. And what happens is, is the, um, the activation of the other gifts start kicking in mm -hmm. as you start releasing. So I'll give you an example of a, of a role change. I, I change from being a boss to being a coach. I change from being a director to being an equipper. So when I wake up in the morning and I look at my staff, my job's not there to tell them what to do. My job, and this is Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, my job is to equip them for the work of ministry. In other words, I'm there to resource them. And I am there, number one, as a servant. They're not my servants. I'm their servants. Mm. Now, that, that's a change right there. They're not my employee. See, we, we've imported all this Babylonian language straight into the church. Wow. If you look up in a dictionary, you can get Webster's, you can get uh, Eng uh, American English Dictionary, and then you can get your Greek dictionary. If you look up employ and you look up hireling, both those words have the exact same definition. Yeah. They have the same definition. Now, none of us want to be hirelings and none of us want to have hirelings. So listen, anybody that's on your staff, if you're the pastor, they're not your employee. They don't work for you. They work for Jesus. And so do you. And so the language that we see all throughout the New Testament about elders, about bishops, about overseers, it's it. Paul always says those who are among you. He never says those who are over you. It's those who are among you. Now, overseership, we, we've messed up so many terms to, to oversee someone is not to boss someone. It's to it's to look after their souls. So it's like I have adult. I have, a, I have an adult daughter that's that's 32. Uh, she recently went through a divorce a couple of years ago. She lives mm -hmm. by herself now in Austin. Well, guess what happened uh, when she first got married? I was like, oh, okay. She's got an, she's got someone else looking out, out for her now. Yeah, I'm out. She got her husband <laughs> looking out for it over, you know, just not bossing, not to boss her, not to tell, but just to watch over her and make sure she's protected. Her sure. needs are provided. And she's not in danger in any way. Well, guess what happened when she got divorced? My rings, my, my phone started ringing a lot more often. Yeah. Hey, dad, I've got this. Dad, I've got that. I became an overseer again. Now, am I telling Caitlin what to do and how to live her life? And no, no, no. But I'm there to give her advice. I'm there to help her when I can. Yeah. Uh, I'm there to pray over her. I mean, I was praying over her even when she was married. But there's it, overseership is different. And so even like the word obey, people say, well, what about Hebrews 13, 17? You know, obey your leaders. Well, mm -hmm. the word obey in the Greek means to be persuaded by. In other words, to have a relationship so that your tendency is to incline your ear to what that, that you know, you and I were talking about a gentleman that's been a father to you in your life, you know, yeah. 
Gary Grogan. And so we're mm -hmm. talking about him. Well, that's a, that's a person that you're persuaded by. Now, do you obey Gary? No, but you're persuaded by him, right? Yeah. That's what leadership is all about. So there's a real change in the posture and the roles here. And then there are definitely some systemic stuff and not to push a book or anything, but last year we had uh, myself and Rob Wegner and Alan Hirsch had a book come out called the starfish and the spirit. And so I really did a lot in systems and, and processes in there to, he to help undergird and make this stuff work. That's awesome. In practical ways. That's so good. One of the things you, you say in this book, and I'm sure you probably talk about it in that book um, when you say on uh, page 148, when authentic relationships don't exist, synthetic replacements and substitutes emerge. Um, what I see, and you just kind of touching on it, and I've experienced, when I went from a, a guy who went to that church to a guy who was on staff in that church, the dynamic between me and my pastor changed every time. And almost every time they stopped being my pastor. Mm -hmm. And they were my boss. Mm -hmm. um, only one out of the three uh, that I've ever worked for really remained my pastor, you know, and loved me. And that, that's somebody I mentioned mm. to you before we started. But um, and the other two were my boss. And uh, you shall not cross them and you shall not disagree with them and you shall not disobey them. Um, you know, never dissent. <laughs> and that it's so hard and it's hard as pastors to shift that mentality because again, the idea is if they're your employees, they must produce, you know, and if they do not produce, you cut off that lack of production and, and find a new branch. Right. And somehow mm -hmm. that's how we justify the vine, <laughs> this living, this living thing. And, and yet, yeah, that's some theological gymnastics too, right? Yeah, so. isn't it? It really is. How do we, how do we get leaders to say, you know what, if they're doing a bad job, maybe pour into them more instead of say, well, just cut them off. You're not producing. Yeah. Well, I, I, and that's the point is once again, discipleship should never leave the leadership culture. Mm. Uh, you're all, you should always be discipling. You should always be making disciples. And the other thing is, and it's this first metaphor that you brought up is realizing that the church is a family. It's a body. It's not a business. It's a body. Yeah. And so this is just about everything about the kingdom is antithetical to the world. Yeah. And so we like to pride ourselves, you know, say, well, we're not worldly. Oh, yeah, we are. So we, we, we think worldliness is don't smoke, drink and chew and don't run with girls that do. Right. That's the right. thing you and I heard up when we heard when we were growing up. So we think, oh, well, it's all these vices, you know, around drinking and partying and carousing and sexual stuff and everything. Well, worldliness <clears throat> actually goes way beyond that. And in fact, if you if you, if you read, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, you see and, and the book of Revelation, you see worldliness is really has a lot more to do with the powers, with the principalities and powers. And so you're dealing with different authority systems. And so you're dealing with different structures and stuff. Um, that's that's worldliness. And so mm. Babylonian thinking Egyptian thinking mm. is these ways of power. It's kingship exercised over others. The very thing Jesus said, the Gentiles, 
And the Gentiles is another metaphor for worldliness, right? So the Gentiles exercise dominion over one another and they lord over one another. It will not be so among you. Mm. Now, Jesus says this in a rebuke when the when disciples are jockeying for position. Want to make sure that they're going to where they're going to be on the hierarchy. And Jesus just knocks it right down. In fact, he did it on another occasion. Actually, I had to have the same conversation with them. So it all starts with that is realizing that your leadership culture is set one way or the other. And when you set it according to the world system of hierarchy and dominator tactics, you, you set, you, you have set a course that, that is going to create a culture of fear and intimidation, which is so far from the spirit of God. I mean, we shouldn't even have to discuss it. Right. Right. So understanding, first of all, you're a family. Second of all, your role, whether you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, whatever your role is on that team, Mm -hmm. your role is to help equip others and you're to do it in a spirit of meekness, right? Mm -hmm. And and the other thing is, is that you approach every person as God's servant sent to serve them. That never stops. It never stops. And that's the problem with hierarchy is because hierarchy circumvents servantship. It, it, it completely circumvents it. And so as soon as I take on a title that has hierarchical tendencies, I call them rank-based titles. Mm-hmm. As soon as we have a rank-based title, and this is what Jesus was talking about, then one person's elevated above the other person as soon as that title is applied. So mm-hmm. let, like Brian, let's say that you and I go together to some conference or some group meeting or something, and, and we meet some guy. Uh, maybe we have a mutual friend that introduces us to his friend. Hey guys, I want you to meet uh, Larry here. Larry is senior pastor of XYZ church. Okay. Immediately in our minds, we categorize him. We assess him. Oh, he's a senior, he's senior guy. Mm -hmm. Now, if let's do another scenario, let's say that we're introduced to Larry. He said, Hey guys, I want you, I want you to meet Larry. Larry's associate pastor at XY church. What happens in our mind? Less than. Less than, right. And then if we introduce ourselves, or if he introduces us to Larry and he says, hey, Brian is senior pastor at so-and-so, and Larry is associate pastor, Larry in his mind feels less than or mm-hmm. over than. This is a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've It has huge implications. Right, we're, yeah, we're... Oh, he's a shoulder guy, not a pinky finger guy. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, exactly. He's higher up the chain uh, in God's view, and yeah, where do we get there? How do we get here? And how do we how do we get out of it? How do we get out of this business mentality that says, you know, accomplish this, accomplish that? We never hear from the underground church in China. You know, um, well, this guy he's really successful because. We don't even know their names, no. right? Because they'll 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 be killed. They'll be imprisoned. Um, and a lot of them aren't even guys. A lot of them are eighteen year old girls. Awesome. Leading, wow. You know, house churches and hubs. And yeah. Networks. Exactly. If we used our current system, would we ever have a Timothy or Titus? Because they're yeah. too young, or they haven't they haven't proven their stripes, or they haven't. You know, how do we get here and how do we undo it? I I think we've talked about how do we get there, 
But how do we undo it? How do we come to the place where we're spiritually authentic, biblically uh, aligned, and, you know, Christ-centered, you know, really? How do we get back to that place that says, this is all about the kingdom of God and Christ alone, and it is not about our kingdom and our building and our, you know, tax-exempt organization? Well, it, it, it really does. I think you, you, you have to reverse engineer it. You know, you have to go back to the beginning. And like you said, I mean, if, if you look at the early church and look, I understand we're in different times and seasons. So and I think we have to factor that in. We're 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 in 2022, you know, with with the Internet, you know, we're not in 8035. But every so every era of the church is different which means every model is different and all that but this is not about models it's about structures and systems so every mm-hmm. human body looks different every person walks with a little different cadence right. uh, everybody has a different voice tone uh, etc we're all different but the thing that we all have in common we have the same system and structure bodily so we have to go back to the irreducible minimums of the of, of the system and structure of the church, and we have to take the hints. and And, and Paul and the uh, the writers of the epistles gave us a lot of hints of how the body is to function. And so one of the problems, and I will tell you, it's interesting because you and I both have um, we have a heritage within the Pentecostal her- charismatic movement. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, so I so I feel like we can talk about our own family. Here Absolutely. So here's one of the things, if you, if this leadership stuff that is so overbearing and it's all come out in the last five to eight years, you know, from, from Driscoll, the Hybels to Brian Hughes, I mean, just name them. And there's somebody on deck right now. Oh, sure. Five months, five months from now, there's going to be another big one that will go, holy smokes, but it doesn't even shock us anymore. No. Anyway, anyway, as strong as it is in non-Pentecostal and charismatic churches, it's two or three times worse in charismatic and Pentecostal churches when it comes down to hard hierarchy. Mm. I mean, there is pride on platforms. You can see it in the faces of leaders. You see it in the way they dress, the way they posture, even in the, in the, the mannerisms of, in their preaching, the arrogance that saturates charismatic and, and Pentecostal leaders is palpable. It is very arrogant. And you talk about being top heavy and talk a bit about being hierarchical. I am the man of God. Oh, yeah. The man of God. Yeah. What? Where is that in scripture? Where is that? God's anointed. Well, guess what? The anointed one is the Messiah and he's in everybody. He's in that. He's in that that 17 year old high school student that's, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to follow Jesus. He's God's anointed. We are yeah, all God's anointed. So we've got right. all this flowery language that raises ourselves up. And, and so there is a lot of work to be done. So it all goes back to once again, reverse engineering and going back to saying what language did Jesus use? What language did Paul use? Cause that all sets culture. So it all starts as you're a servant. You are nothing but a servant. Yeah. You are a lowly servant and you are to think more of others than you are yourself. And so So when Paul talks in Romans 12 about those gifts, one of the things that he says early on is in Romans 12 is to not think more of yourself than you ought, but to think soberly. 
Mm. Well, he, he's setting it up there as he starts talking about the gifts and he talks about the different measures of faith. He talks about some people have a stronger gifting than others or a different measure of that gifting. But he's already telling the guy that's stronger in the gifting, be sober. Don't get drunk on yourself. Don't get drunk on your gifting. Because mm. what happens is when we do that. So if you take a room and you've been in these rooms of, of leaders, whether it be on a st- uh, uh, in, in a church staff or whatever, Whoever is considered to, to have the, the highest rank mm-hmm. and the smartest person in the room. So what that does is it causes other people not to speak. It causes other people not to give their ideas or their views of things. And in fact, you mentioned some of these things earlier. There's almost a sin of questioning the, the yeah. upper leader. You can't even question him or her. You can't even question them. Well, that is the most arrogant stance. It's the most anti-Christ stance imaginable because yeah. what that does, it shuts off the intelligence of the body that the yeah. head is sent down. Right. So when you have a culture of intimidation to that degree where, where, where lower level leaders can't even speak or question an idea, then you're not going to get the intelligence coming out of the body. Because mm. the thing is, the smartest person in the room is the room itself. It's the collective giftings. Wow. And you never know where the Holy Spirit's going to drop an answer or who he's going to drop it through. But yeah. if you have a culture that shuts that down, you're not going to even get it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you have limited the intelligence of the body that the brain is trying to push down into it. Man, that was powerful, Lance. The, the collective of the room is the, is the smartest in the room, man. That was so good. I remember years ago and, and, as much as I, I'm, I'm not a fan of where they've gone and, and some of their initiatives, Andy Stanley had some good stuff on leadership years ago. I remember him talking about God's anointed. He goes, God's anointed. That's about a bad king in a cave. Is that really who you want to be? <laughs> you know, going to the bathroom. Point. Like, that's who that's, that's about. Point. Is that who you want to be? Is that who yeah. you want to emulate? Like, but I remember saying, even that whole, there was a pastor I worked for, uh, and I won't mention his name, um, and my audience, the audience wouldn't know who he was anyway, but, you know, him, one time he just, I basically, very lovingly, he, he falsely accused me of several things, and I'd, I'd just been around the block at that point, I'm like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna roll over, <laughs> you know, let me, what you're saying is not true. You know, and, mm-hmm. and here, and I, I said it very respectfully. I mean, I was not rude back. And, and in the end, he basically just said, I'm awesome. I'm amazing. And you're this literally wow. finger in wow. my face, beat red. And eventually, you know, is sad. He lost his job. Um, and it's tragic. And yet it's like, we get there so easily as leaders when we buy our own hype, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm, I guess it's, it's a blessing. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it when you're a portable church still six years in and you're just trying to see God move and, and, you know, you're, you're not, you don't have the buildings and the giant numbers, you know, and things like that. It, it forces humility, which is good. It's hard to buy my own hype in those scenarios, but at the same time, uh, I, I don't know the struggle of being a thousand people and multiple staff and I can hire and fire and nobody's ever the wiser because you're so big, you know, let people go. But I remember my pastor, uh, Brian Peterson, who we mentioned before, he, he said something to me so good years ago. 
and this may be a classic teaching, but I only ever heard it from him. He said, you know who we are as pastors in the story of Esther? We're the eunuch. Hmm. And she's not our bride, and we can't touch her even if that's we wanted it. to. That's it. Oh, that's Okay, I really love that. And I tell you why, because I was recently, um, actually had a friend said, look, uh, I, I have a friend that's on staff of a large church. He said, man, he says, it just seems like you're always saying the bride is so ugly. You're just always hammering on the bride. And I said, bro, I said, I challenge you to look at the last 10 years of my Facebook posts or anything or tweets or whatever in my books and find any place where I've criticized the bride. I am not criticizing the bride. I am criticizing the groomsmen. They're there to attend to the bride. Oh, those are the ones that are ugly. They're acting ugly towards the bride of Christ. Come on, Lance. That's so good. You know, and so that that's the issue. You are an attendant Mm-hmm. to God's bride. And so we talk about abuse, mm-hmm. talk about abuse. When you start abusing Jesus's bride, he's got a problem with you. Yeah. That's and right. so, you know, that even these, and, and, and here's the deal is there's like a mentality in so many leaders that their staffs are not also the bride. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now listen, they are some still the bride. Category. Yeah, right? they, they are still Jesus' sheep, yeah. okay? And so when you start messing with Jesus' sheep, go go read Ezekiel 34. See what he says about an abusive shepherd. Yeah, yeah. Because they are still his sheep. And so here's the deal is, in fact, we hit this a lot in this book, The, the Starfish and the Spirit, is we, we did a lot of researches of churches that really are trying to lead this way. And we also found dozens and dozens of giant corporations that are leading this way. One of the examples we used was, was a, a corporation called Morningstar. That's the, the largest tomato pro, uh, processor uh, in the world. If, if and you're in Chicago, you're in Chicago land. If you had pizza or spaghetti in the last month, you had their, you had their product. Well, if it's you required ketchup, here. It's communion. Well, weekly. of course yeah. it is. Of course it is. So, so anyway, so they have 4,000 employees. Guess what? There is not one person. There is not one person that can dictate over another person in the whole company. They completely work as a team, completely work in team leadership. There's not one person that has the power to fire another person. You cannot fire a person. Wow. So people say, what do people get fired? Yeah, they get fired, but they have peer leadership. Wow. And so they operate through through peer leadership, through mutual accountability, through peer accountability, and they have mm. micro agreements that these teams work on. Wow. And so so if a person gets fired, it's because they've set and they've worked through with their peers these issues mm. and it's mutually decided either you need to you need to change jobs within the corporation or you need to leave. Mm. And so people do get fired, but they have processes and there is there is uh, humanity in it. Okay. There's, there's no one can unilaterally exercise uh, authority over anybody. And, and in fact, I I studied several huge companies, some with even 12,000 employees and every one of them had a, a conflict process. So if you had a conflict with anyone and every single one of them was Matthew 18, 
every single one of them moved right down through the processes of Matthew 18. They weren't calling it that, but I was like, this is exactly the way that we're to process disagreements. Mm. So we have just, we've abdicated, you know, we've just imported this worldly system straight into the yeah. church to, to yeah. try to be sleek and fast. You just hit the nail on the head. In the irony of the search of leadership, we abdicated it up to the world. We, we had, we adopted the world's leadership and abdicated a kingdom one. We did. And, and we it's, did. and it's, it's literally killed the church in the Western world. Yeah. It's, it's so let less, me, it, yeah. it has. And so let me say this, as you were saying, I am not saying by any stretch, if you're leading a church of 500 to 5,000, that you don't need to have systems. Sure. Absolutely. Of course, of course, you need to have absolutely. Systems. But, but it's the wrong systems that you're using. Mm-hmm. And it's the wrong structures. And here's the deal. And, and it, I kind of kind of lost my thought a while ago. I was on a little rant. So yeah, right. the interesting thing about the Charismatics and Pentecostals, they embrace the Holy Spirit. They hold high value for the gifts of the Spirit. But the problem is, is that they don't filter those gifts of the Spirit through the fruit of the Spirit. And especially mm. when it comes to Oof. leadership, this is why you have jerk leaders. This is why you got to yeah. have guys that are complete jerks and that have no essence of Jesus whatsoever. Mm. And we give them immunity. We let them go on because, well, well, but he's doing a good job. He's growing or the church is growing. No, no, no. What did Paul say following 1 Corinthians 12, where he talks about the gifts of the Spirit? Right. 1 Corinthians 13, because he says all this stuff, if you don't have love, love and if you don't have it in nothing. a tangible way, you're a gong show. You yeah. are a joke. Mm-hmm. There is nothing to you. But we completely ignore that stuff. And so what's happened is we have cultures of fear on staffs. And somebody may be listening to this right now. You may be a staff member and you may be going, that's exactly the way it is around here. And we let guys get away with it. We just go along with it because we're afraid we're going to lose our job. We're going to phrase we'll get fired or whatever. Here's the hard truth of that. Listen, if you're in a staff like that, if there's not signs of change. If there's not some of this change at some point. Yeah. You got to go. You got to go because yeah. otherwise you're just taking a bribe. Well, and that same person who did that to me, I, I can say it came to a point and I'm sad about it. Uh, but God used it totally for his glory. It came to a moment where the Lord really said, are you going to tell the truth or are you going to do this honor God's anointed thing? Because you can honor mm-hmm. me or that person, but you're not able to do both at this point. Yeah. And that was, man, that was one of the hardest moments of my life in ministry because it was like, wow, I really am at this moment where it's honor the Lord or honor a man, but I can't do both. Exactly. And that's the thing is David didn't kill Saul. Right. He refused to. But but he he didn't say, he didn't jump in front of the spear either. He didn't say. (laughs) Okay. He he took off. You know, he he, he got away from it. That's right. So. That's the thing is because otherwise you're just, you're, you're selling your gift. Mm-hmm. You really have become a hireling. And so that's the thing is when you stay in a system like that. And the other th- deal is, is silently, um, you're giving your stamp of, of approval to that type of leadership. You if, are, if, Oof, if, man, mic drop right there. Lance, that was so good. Yeah, you I'm, should do this for a living. Um, <laughs> There's a, a story I want to share with you, and we're going to unpack in future episodes because it was so, man, it, it I, I'm still chewing on it, and it still wrecks me. Um, 
Not that long ago, I was listening to a podcast on The Real with Adam McCain, um, but uh, Michael and Larissa Miller, who are the pastors of Upper Room, started Upper Room in Dallas there. I'm mm-hmm. sure you're familiar. But she, she had shared a, a prophetic dream she'd had. And uh, no matter in our audience what your viewpoint on this, on the prophetic today, we, I mean, you should know by now, we believe in the things of the Spirit, but listen to this and see if it doesn't hit home, and I won't do it justice, but she said she'd had this dream, and in this dream, she's getting, she's trying on wedding dresses, she's about to get married, and and uh, the, the, the attendant kept, keeps bringing her things, and she goes, and I looked sexy and good, and I said, well, that's nice, but can I try something else, and he kept she said he kept bringing me things that made me look sexy, and she's like, "No, no, no!" But I want to look beautiful. It's my wedding day. I don't want to look just look sexy. I want to look beautiful. And she said, "And I woke that morning." And she goes, "And this is and the Holy Spirit spoke. This is what my church in America has been doing for years. They want to look sexy to the world, but not beautiful Ooh, to me." Man, that's. I mean, I just we could just like have about five minutes of silence on that one. That's right. That's it's, on, man. Wow. It wrecked me. And it still hmm. is wrecking me. And I'm like, God, I, I don't know That's how to get there. That's a word from the Lord. That's a word from the Lord, man. How do we get there, wow. Lord? I, I want to get there. I want to be that. Because I was that guy for years. Yeah. And, and I I'm was still, too. You know, like cool lights and, uh, man, do we have a hazer? And things got to flow and things like that. And I remember a few weeks ago, you know, just the service was a mess. You know, it was just a mess, and you're just like, oh, oh, come on, guy. And okay, we can sit the team down and excellence, and and yeah, we can improve. Like we should still present ourselves. Well, give well. our We want to give our best, sure, sure. But at the same time, be like, it's okay, because yeah. this is the body. Brian, let me say something in light of what you just said there, and and I don't want to say it to you personally, and I say it to any other church planters or or pastors. We have gone for that sexy, cool thing. And we thought that's what we're supposed to do. This is excellence, you know, yada, yada, yeah, yada. Yeah. Healthy things grow, da, da, da. Right. The deal is, is, is so often, you know, we say healthy things grow, but you know what? Obesity is growth, but that's not health. Oh, man. I'm trying. I'm on a Daniel Fast right now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm not even. <laughs> just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So so just because we've become obese as a church does not mean we're healthy by any stretch. Oof. And man, dude. so you can be making church but not make disciples. And that's been a big part of what we've done is we've churched our people, but we haven't discipled them by and large. Um, so my wife the other day, you know, we, we were church planters and we did that grind and it's, 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 I love church planters, man. I, it's mm. so easy. Go ahead. Yeah. It's just a piece <laughs> of cake, just a piece of cake. So I love church planters, but that push and that mm. inward constant striving have to have the validation yeah. Because you feel like a failure if you don't, because you go to these big church, you go to the church planting conferences. They don't, they don't put a guy on stage that's running 75. No, 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 it's no, if in, not even 7,500. Okay. You, you gotta, <laughs> so we constantly, this is what you should aspire to be. This is what you should aspire to do. Yeah. That's what, that's what's proclaimed to us. Well, anyway, I don't believe that anymore. I believe there's all forms of the That's church. Right. I've, I've, I spend a lot of time with micro church leaders and, 
and and I have a ton of mega church pastor friends and all that. So to me, it's not about the box. It's about are you getting your people out of the box the other six days of the week to live as sent people into the world? That's the issue to me. So but but here's what my wife said to me. She said, you know what we believe now about leadership and about what the mm. church really is supposed to be about. She said, if we were to plant again, and I, I'm, I got no plans to plant again. But she <laughs> said, you know, if we planted again, it would be so much different without having that leadership angst mm. and that pressure to grow it, grow it big and grow it fast. So I just want to say to church planners right now, get rid of that. You don't have to grow it big. You don't have to grow it fast. Focus on being a servant. Focus on making disciples. And then let Jesus do what he wants to do with those seeds that you put into the ground and you water the ground. Look, he said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Most church planters don't feel that. Let let yourself feel that. Be yoked up to him. He's the big ox next to you. (laughs) That double yoke is hanging over both of your shoulders. The only time you're going to feel pressure is when you're pulling against it. When you're Mm. pulling ahead of him, just walk in lockstep with him, with the spirit. And guess what? That yoke's just going to float around your neck because the weight's going to be on his big old shoulders. Wow. So good. And I just, so I just encourage you guys, you know, is to, and that doesn't mean you don't give your best. You don't give your excellence. Of course. But when that's, when that church service went bad the other day, Brian, (laughs) that was not a train wreck. I remember this and I, I know we're probably getting close to time to shut down here, but I, uh, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So I, I'm, I not get paid for this. I can, yeah. I can say what I want. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so so our, years ago, this would have been probably, oh, maybe even 20 years ago. We are, me and my team from my St. Louis church, we're at a Willow Creek uh, church conference, leadership conference. I've heard of them. I think, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of those. You may have, it's right around your doorstep. Uh, Somewhere, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Hybels is doing one of his talks. Mm-hmm. His microphone goes out. Oh, my gosh. You know, he's, it, it, In fact, it didn't even totally glow out. It just glitched a couple of times. Oh, yeah. He worked himself through it. Then he finished his talk, and there was like a skit or a song or something or whatever, and then he came back. And he makes a big deal out of that microphone. He said, now, folks, he said, actually, he said, we've got a teachable moment here. Uh, You notice the microphone went out a while ago. And he said, you can be assured that while the skit was going on, I was talking to somebody. And what he said was, he used this term. He said, we had a train wreck. We had a train wreck. Wow. So I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking... No, buddy, you had a train wreck in 2018. Yeah. You dropped you dropped your fork that day. That was yeah. not a train wreck. But That's the right. fact that you put so much pressure, you put so much emphasis on all that and all the leadership stuff and everything, rather than character and discipling. Because here's the other thing is Willow Creek had to report on itself that it was failing in discipleship yeah. about 15 years ago. Yep. So I the remember. two things that Willow is most known about how to do church and how to do leadership pretty they much failed. a failure in both of them. Yep. And they probably had more influence upon the leadership culture of the worldwide church 
Protestant evangelicals than any other. Now, look, everybody's going to say, hey, that's a that's a hard saying and you shouldn't call them by name. Now, Paul did call them by name. That's right. Paul said you should warn you should warn the others. Yeah. So that they be held account. And he's talking about bishops and overseers and leaders and influencers. Now, it's time we quit messing around with this stuff. We keep placating it and playing nice with it. Right. Because I think the Holy Spirit, I think the Lord is ramping up to take his church back. And so you either fall on the rock and it breaks you to pieces or it falls and crushes you to powder. Mm. And so, so that's the choice we have. You can either be pieces or powder. You can pieces can at least be put back together. Yeah, that's right. So I really wow. do believe prophetically that we are in a moment where we are going to have to enter into a place of repentance. So this is not just yeah. about all this stuff is not just about preference. Oh, well, I need to change my modeling. No, the first thing we need to do is repent. Lord, I have touched your bride. And that 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 story you told from your friend that metaphor is powerful lord we have we have taken it upon ourselves and had the nerve to touch your bride when we shouldn't have mm. yeah lance would you close us in prayer because I, I just feel like this is a holy moment god's been in this moment in this conversation would you please just pray over us sure. as leaders sure lord we do uh, just open our hearts and we bow our hearts and our our knees before you, Lord. First of all, confessing that we have taken too much upon ourselves, that we have thought too highly of ourselves, which Mm -hmm. means we thought too lowly of you. We've made you small in our eyes. And so we ask you to forgive us, Lord, first of all. We ask you to forgive us. Father, it's your church. You never called us to build a church. You said you would build your church. You called us to make disciples. And we ask you to forgive us for not focusing on making disciples. And we ask you to forgive us for taking the false identity of being over rather than being under and for being bosses rather than being servants. Mm. And I pray for every man and woman uh, that's listening that you would take us on a journey of reforming us, mm-hmm. of re-engineering our hearts and our heads and our minds and showing us how to be servants yeah. that attend to your bride, be servants that equip the saints for the work of the ministry, yep. that we put first things first and we never move on to second things, Lord, yep. that we do your bidding, that we show up as a team, that we show up as a family, that we show up as a servant culture. We ask you to lead us, Lord, and guide us and give us the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of counsel in all this to fill in the blanks and just to activate the body mm-hmm. and for Jesus' headship to be restored to his church. Yeah. We thank you that you've called us to the kingdom for a time like this. And so we ask you to help us as we put our hands to the plow, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.